Hi again, Medical Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Eva, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal, coming to you today with the great pleasure of speaking with someone who's not only an author for the journal, but is also one of our editorial interns in, in the current year. Benjamin Kinnear is Associate Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine. He is only two or three months, I guess, into this internship. So I'm greatly enjoying getting to know him a bit and thrilled to have a chance to talk with him about a paper that he and his co-authors have coming out in the November 2022 issue of Medical Education entitled How Argumentation Theory Can Inform Assessment Validity, a Critical Review. Ben, first and foremost, thanks for making the time to talk in a busy clinical life and as the new school term has started. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. One thing I didn't mention in introducing you is this is the first paper in your PhD studies. You're working with quite an impressive team through Maastricht University, and I'll just kick things off by asking you how this area became the focus of your dissertation research. Yeah, so when I decided that I'd like to pursue a PhD in health professions education, I initially was going to do something in the area of competency-based medical education, CBME, specifically time variable training, which is related to some other work that I have going on. And I'm really interested in that aspect of medicine. And it frankly would have been a fairly easy transition as I've spent a lot of time already in the world of CBME. But for a long time, I was really getting more and more interested in validity, in the idea of validity arguments. And I'm a clinician. I'm a very practical person. I didn't come through the world of education theory or measurement in my training. I got really stuck on the idea of what does the practical meaning of argument, what does that mean for someone like me who might be making a validity argument to other people? And I was actually listening to the Key Lime podcast, which if you haven't heard that, it's from the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Canada. And Dr. Lara Varpio mentioned argumentation theory in the podcast. And I had already read a couple of books on it because I was curious. And I reached out to her. We had a couple of discussions. And before I knew it, she was kind enough to say, I'll be your supervisor, uh, one of your supervisors, and we can really dig into this idea of argumentation and how it applies to validity in our field. So it really opened up this whole new world for me, which was great because, again, if I had gone down the path of CBME, that would have been a very comfortable path where I already had a lot of background, this area of argumentation and argumentation theory and how that whole field could inform health professions education is totally new to me, as is the whole field of humanities. I have no background in the humanities and a lot of argumentation theory comes from the humanities. So it's actually been a really fun and very challenging transition to learn this whole new field as I enter this PhD program, but it really has been informative in a practical way as well. In the paper, we open with this case of somebody making an argument for making competency decisions for a time variable program. That's actually a very true story. That's one of the things that got me interested in this is we have a competency-based time variable pilot in our residency program. And I started to wonder, How do I make the argument to the different stakeholders that I have to interface with in terms of this is why we think we can make defensible decisions. Here's the evidence. 
these decisions are defensible and that we're going to be keeping patients safe. So all these things coming together of having this incredible mentorship team, having people with similar interests and having real world challenges that I was trying to navigate led me to this whole new field of study that has been melting my brain for a while now. Uh, and hopefully it will continue. <laughs> Before we get into those details about argumentation theory, again, keeping the practical value in mind, let me just step back and ask you to tell our listeners a bit more about the notion of validity and assessment in our world. It's one of those terms that those who aren't involved in assessment will use quite blithely, right? Validity is a common word, but it has very specific and debated meanings within health professions education. So what does Kane or others say about how we should be thinking about validity nowadays? Yeah, you know, validity was a black box for me as well. I couldn't tell you the beginnings of what it meant four or five years ago, again, coming through the clinical world, not the measurement world. There's actually a few different discourses on what validity is that are floating around in our field. One of them is validity as the accuracy of an instrument. It's kind of the property of an instrument. Is it calibrated to reflect the truth or accuracy of what you're measuring? I think that has largely gone by the wayside, at least in health professional education, and has been supplanted by what people would call validity as argument. And that is that validity is not about a particular instrument or score per se. Validity is about the decisions, it's about the interpretations and uses of data that are collected. And this really kind of came into play in the later 20th century, specifically with Michael Caine, who you mentioned, who said, you know, we should really be focusing on the decisions that we're making and not just the interpretations, but also the uses of the data. And it really kind of opened up validity to this broader view and brought more things into the umbrella of what validity is. And it really is a debated thing. As I've looked across our field, I think most people in health professions education ascribe to this idea of validity as argument and have bought into it. And you'll see a lot of people using the language of validity as argument in the studies that they do. What was really interesting for me is that as you move outside of our field, it is not a settled matter at all. If you go into mathematics, into engineering, into language, other fields, the idea of validity being about the decisions being made and not about an instrument or a score can seem kind of ludicrous. And people <laughs> intensely debate this in the literature as far as I can tell. The way we were thinking about validity for this paper was validity as argument, that it is about the interpretations, the uses of data, the decisions that are made, and can you provide evidence that is put together in a coherent argument to support those decisions that they are defensible. One other way of thinking about validity, which I think is related to validity as argument, is validity as a social imperative. And that was put forward by Melanie Marceau, this idea of really linking validity to the downstream societal consequences, almost making it like an imperative to get it right for the sake of patient safety, which again, is still kind of validity as argument, but it's really linking it to the downstream consequences in a much more tangible way. And frankly, for the purposes of what we do in my local program, this is how I think about it all the time. When I think about time variable training, which, as I mentioned, was one of the real world triggers for me to think about this, it really was about can we let people progress into unsupervised practice in a way that is safe for patients? If I were going to do this do I think the patients they will care for will receive high quality care? And so I do think validity to me is most interesting. And frankly, it garners the most attention when you link it to these really tangible downstream consequences. 
going from there into this particular paper, this is a cross-cutting edge paper, which for those who don't know is typically a review that is aimed at trying to bring knowledge and insight and evidence from outside to help professional education to help us think better about what's going on inside health professional education. In doing that, you settled on two orientations, you call them, for of argumentation, new rhetoric and formal logic. Why did you choose those two? And can you tell us a little bit about uh, sort of how you got there? Yeah, we chose to do a critical narrative review of the literature. And we chose that because there is no way that we could go through everything that has been written about argumentation theory. This is a field that goes back literally thousands of years across cultures, across disciplines. And so we thought we were going to have to scope our review and do it in a way where we let our expertise and our knowledge of health professions education help us narrow our focus a bit and let the things that would be most helpful to our field rise to the top. So that's the approach that we took. And when we looked into the most highly cited sources and authors, there were some argumentation orientations that came up most prominently again and again and again. And those were the ones that we ended up putting in the paper, trying to give a brief nod, at least to the more prominent ones, but then digging more into the ones that we thought would be most helpful for our field. So things like formal logic, which is, I think, what most people think of with mathematics or you know, premise, premise, conclusion is just so rigid and decontextualized that it was not going to make sense for our field at all. And similarly, we mentioned formal dialectics and pragma dialectics, which are other argumentation approaches, and they're very focused on the rules of a structured exchange or debate felt a little too rigid in terms of process to be useful for our field either. But informal logic and new rhetoric both seemed to have some approaches or tools that would potentially be really useful for helping us understand what does argumentation mean. Specifically, we thought that informal logic was really useful in the way that it tends to look at the structure and the signposting of arguments in a way that might make it easier to articulate what argument is actually being put forth. When I read a lot of validity studies, it's not always clear to me what the actual argument being put forth is. What are the different pieces of the argument and specifically, there's one person who tends to fall under the umbrella of informal logic named Stephen Toulmin, who was a philosopher who put forward this approach for structuring arguments and labeling the different aspects of an argument, the data, the claim, the warrant, all these different parts of an argument that you could literally signpost and people could then say, does this argument hang together in a way that makes sense? Or if there's a problem with it, where is the problem in the argument? And we thought those kinds of approaches might be helpful for our field. We don't know for sure, but it certainly made sense to us they might be useful. Similarly, for new rhetoric, it doesn't actually give you a specific approach on how you should organize or signpost an argument. But what we really liked about new rhetoric was it focuses on the values and norms of the audience to whom you're making the argument. Now, this could be seen as a disadvantage for people who say, well, that could get really subjective really quickly, and that might be true. But Going back to this idea of validity as a social imperative, I think we have to really think about what is important to the people who we serve, meaning patients, the regulatory bodies who oversee our field, and can we make sure that we're making validity arguments that align with their values so that we're not just presenting the evidence that we can most easily obtain 
or making arguments that we think are most defensible and hardest to knock down, but we're making arguments that are actually most important to the people that we serve. So we thought those were a couple of different aspects of those approaches that you know could really inform if we're going to make a validity argument rather than just pulling together evidence and throwing it under the umbrella of Kane's validity framework. Can we actually put it in the context of an argument that plays by the rules of new rhetoric or informal logic or even both? And so do you have a sense already about how you would like to see validation practices changing in order to better align with either or both of those models? Yes, although I'm not entirely sure what the best way forward is going to be. But I think we could learn a lot from informal logic in terms of structuring and signposting our arguments. And I think from new rhetoric, I think it would be very useful for us to think deeply about who are the audiences for the arguments that we're making, what values do they have, and trying to make sure that our arguments align with those values. So, for example, I'm trying to when make I those think, things very explicit as you're yes. writing your papers as well as designing your projects. That's right. And as I think about it, I think many people, when they do their validity work, they do a study. Maybe it's a psychometric study, maybe it's a response process study, whatever kind of validity evidence they're gathering, and they publish that work. And I don't know how much attention is paid to who thinks that that evidence is most important. Is it just the people generating the evidence, or is there a particular audience in mind that would say that response process evidence is really important, or that psychometric evidence is really important? And I think every time we generate an argument, we should be saying, why is this evidence really important? And it's because this audience is our most important audience in this moment, and they would value this. And here's why we think so, either because we directly engaged with that audience, or we have some reason to believe that that audience would prefer that evidence. And then again, I do believe that having a, a way to structure arguments that is easier to follow and understand will make them easier to critique, frankly. Well, in fact, given your internship position, I can't help but bring what you just said back to the publication process and the importance in any study of thinking about who you're writing for and you know, trying to pursue the journal that's going to value and most benefit from whatever you have to offer. I totally agree. One thing that makes it tricky, too, and I don't have the answer for this, is not every audience that we might find important is going to have the understanding to articulate what type of validity evidence is actually important to them. In other words, I would argue that for many of the decisions we make, our learners are one of our most important stakeholders. And how many of our learners have been stewing in validity long enough to mm. articulate the type of evidence they would think is important? I think that's going to be a very small number of people. So how to operationalize this in the real world, I don't have the best way forward. And for this paper, we actually weren't trying to put forward real world solutions, but rather just to bring these ideas into our field to let people chew on them and then say, how can we carry some of these forward into our field? And that actually my future PhD studies will hopefully get a little further into what do thought leaders in our field think about some of these approaches in terms of validity and how have we been writing about validity in our field that might imply one of these orientations is preferred over the other. It's a very good thing that the first paper of your PhD didn't answer all the questions that you might want to have to address. So I won't ask you to disclose anything that hasn't come out yet, but given that this is the first step in a path for you, can you share any thoughts as to where you hope this will head? 
I hope this eventually does take a turn more toward the practical, because when you read this paper, there's a lot of really good ideas, but it does leave us with a lot of questions about how would this practically be implemented? And frankly, how does this land with a lot of our thought leaders, a lot of assessment stakeholders who actually do this work, people at accrediting bodies or certifying bodies or program leaders? And so eventually I'd like to peel things back to get to that level. I actually don't know which direction it's going to go, but I do think it was helpful to see that there are these other argumentation approaches that clearly to us don't fit our field. And I also think what's really fun about argumentation theory is you don't have to choose just one. It's not like putting on a coat to go outside and you can't change coats. I do think we can draw from multiple different orientations in this field, whatever will help us best make decisions in terms of are the interpretations and uses of data defensible? Are they useful and meaningful and all those things? So I will say, though, man, I wish in the humanities people, they don't write 10 to 12 page papers, Kevin, and they don't, <laughs> they, they write 30 page papers and they write books. And so I am so glad to be done with this narrative <laughs> review because while it was really fun to do, I spent so many nights just reading and reading and reading because they just brevity is not their thing in the humanities. <laughs> no. And then that is one of the motivations behind this cross cutting edge series is to make work like that accessible to people who you know, don't have the time or interest to go and do that. So it's a great note for me to wrap up on because I appreciate you putting in that work for the rest of us. I think it is going to provide a great access point that I'm actually already hopeful has some very real practical implications in terms of how people think about conveying their arguments. But of course, I'm very much looking forward to seeing where your PhD studies lead you and we'll wait with bated breath as you get on with the empirical work. Great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, thank you. For those who do want the details, the paper we've been discussing is written by Benjamin Kinnear. It's entitled How Argumentation Theory Can Inform Assessment Validity, a Critical Review, and you'll find it in the November 2022 issue of Medical Education. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk with you next time. Thanks again. Mm-hmm.